My Year of Bad Sex, written and read by me, Jonathan Izard. Part 8. Will. Will won't. I thought Will would, but Will wouldn't. I'd had a whole day that hadn't been a whole day, and I was due to meet young Will in the evening after his football match. He'd sent me a picture of himself in his kit with muddy knees and tousled hair. Good grief, so sexy. We'd swapped other pictures, of course, and both liked what we saw. There was something about his face and the tone of his language that implied he was well-spoken and intelligent. That would be a bonus, after some of the chat I'd had. I mean, really. One entire exchange had gone as follows, and I think you can tell which is me. Picks. Hello. There are several photos on my profile. Dick. Oh, you are so romantic. You fucking sick gay pervert. Then he added, faggot, in case I hadn't got the message. I was mulling over the correct etiquette of how to respond and wondering whether I had time to consult Debrett's when I saw that he'd blocked me and vanished. My shock and dented ego lasted only seconds until I got to the delight underneath. The fact that I was sitting on the lavatory made it easier. I could flush it away metaphorically. But Will seemed like a class act. Will Waters. A hint of public school, a cheeky smile, a memory of myself years ago. But happier, I hoped. After a day at work, I went home, set up the table and put the towels to warm on a radiator. I was beginning to establish a routine and didn't feel the need for a crib sheet of massage strokes now. I had a pattern in my head that felt logical and professional. I was looking forward to laying my hands on Will's willing willy. If I say 8pm, I mean 8pm, and I'm ready. My spirits began to sink as the minutes passed by. I filed my nails so I wouldn't scratch unwittingly, although scratching might be requested. I checked the music I'd play. I put water for Will Waters by the table. I took a blue pill. I filed my nails a bit more. By 8.30 I realised I'd been stood up. What the fuck? At 8.45 I got a text from Will to say he'd been an unwell Will all day and hadn't been to work. He also said he should have let me know earlier. Yes, I said, you should have. It would be a while before Will would wander my way, and wonderful would not be the word. The next day Angelo called to say, Mr. Jonty, I found someone for us. Someone called George, apparently. It sounded a bit predatory and the guy was his type, i.e. my age and build, rather than my type, i.e. his age and build. But if having a third-party present meant I could snog Angelo again, so be it. However, backpedalling messages started to come through that George didn't feel well. Had he caught something from Will? And finally George cancelled. Men? Bastards. Not all, but most of the ones in my orbit right now. But there were two who weren't. Me and Oliver. Yes, I was missing him all over again. Well, of course, how could I not? And wondering about his life while I was staggering through this bizarre list of tossers and time-wasters. Was he dating? Having sex? All the time that I wasn't, five years, I imagined he couldn't be either. How naive! Of course he was! He wanted his own independence, and he created it, thereby making me unwillingly independent too. So there was no doubt he had been experimenting with his new-made autonomy. In London, Ottawa, Tokyo, 
I'd allowed myself the exquisite torture of imagining what kind of men he'd been with, picturing him in another man's arms, kissing him, actually having... No, the images wouldn't come. It was impossible to conjure them up as mirages to test myself. The reality of my memories were too firmly embedded in my mind, of him in my bed, in my arms, in my life, in my heart. All those intimate pleasures of our shared times. Had he fallen for anyone? Was he in love, as he'd been in love with me, as I still was with him? There, I've said it. I fell in love with Oliver in 2000, and although he left me thirteen years later, I never fell out of love with him. So my crazy whirl of casual sex might be fun and games, but as it said on my profile, my heart was not available. When Oliver told me, as one day he surely would, about some special man he was seeing, had been seeing for years, would it come as a painful blow, or a welcome relief? Both. I felt certain he had refrained from telling me about any flings or potential partners to avoid hurting me in my bruised celibacy. He was a good guy, always had been. Now, in my new phase of ageing slut, would I be more able to withstand hearing those facts, those names, those details? No. I still didn't feel I could bear it. I was the one, wasn't I? We were a team, weren't we? When did that stop being true? How could part of a team make such a damaging unilateral decision? The older I get, the less I understand. I'm in my mid-sixties, and I still have no clue how any of this works, at least not for me. How do some people meet their soul mate and stay together until death does them part, and the rest of us flounder about in solitude and sex? Oh yes, sex. <laughs> Sorry, I got distracted. Barack Obama. That's what he looked like. A young Obama, I realised, and he was 21. I was still getting used to these apps, changing my profile and search criteria, asking myself if I was a horrible pervert for setting my maximum age so low. I don't mean teenage or anything, but 40. Sure, mature men can be attractive, interesting, witty, and all those other wonderful qualities. Of course we can. But right now, I didn't find them sexy. Sorry, not sorry. Opening one of the apps, Scruff, is like looking at multiple thumbnail images of myself, gentlemen of a certain age, with wrinkles, soft bellies and beards, some dark, some white. No, absolutely zero attraction for me. I realise I may sound like an arrogant, delusional twat to be looking at men twenty, thirty, forty years my junior, but as you must have realised by now, this narrative is not designed to preserve my image as a suave, urbane sophisticate. No, no, I see my flaws. Show the working out, as the maths tests used to say. Like the Lloyds building in Lime Street, my essential services are on the outside, visible and available. I am architectural bowelism incarnate. Two friends were discussing me some time ago, and one referred to my naff streak. Streak, scoffed the other, it's wider than a boulevard. Yes, Obama. Slim, black, with a shy, confident charm, and in US Air Force gear. I do like a man in a uniform, but I prefer him out of it, as Mae West probably said. Although I'd draw the line at a traffic warden, or parking operative, as they call themselves now. No, 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 I couldn't get hard for someone in a green cap sticking a yellow note on my windscreen. But the blue surge gave me a surge. His name was Noah. 
We got chatting very late one night when I was out of London, and still charmed by the novelty of names, faces and more pinging up on my phone. None of these adventures was possible when I'd last been looking for this kind of fun two decades earlier, nor even imaginable to most of us. You mean we'll travel by jetpack, holiday on the moon, and be able to dial up sex with three swipes of a thumb? Gee whiz, I've seen the future, and it works! But we didn't swap dick pics or body pics, and there was no dirty talk. It was all squeaky clean, as you would imagine a future president of the USA to be. Wait, wait, let me revise that, depending on which president we're talking about. Can you imagine lusting after someone and thinking, he looks a bit like a young Trump, an obese orange baby with an arrogant sociopathic misogynistic swagger? Ooh, a bit of sick just came up in my mouth. Noah was stationed on a US Air Force base, and I would be driving that way the next day, en route from Norfolk to London. Could we meet for a chat, perhaps? And if that goes well, when he was next in town, maybe a massage. He'd never had a massage. Bless. I said I'd be close to his base at 3.45. I hit the roundabout where we'd agreed to meet at, you guessed, 3.45. Reliably punctual, or irritatingly self-satisfied? Noah had suggested a neat park where we could sit and talk. It's behind Sainsbury, he said on the phone, the singular rather than possessive marking him out instantly as an outsider. I found the park. It wasn't neat. Rather, a barren expanse of floodplain lower than the nearby sluggish Brown River, with goalposts indicating weekend activity and some benches along a tarmac path. I sat on one and was about to text Noah when, in the fading November light, I noticed a very tall young man loping across the grass towards me. His profile had said six foot four inches, and I now realised just what that looked like. Huge! And what twenty-one years old looked like. Young. It crossed my mind that he was thinking, so, that's five foot ten and sixty-four, eh? Neat. Except I hadn't given my age, of course. Older than you, I'd said. Much older. No figures, no lies. We shook hands and swapped some basic pleasantries about our day, my journey, and so on. Disappointingly, he wasn't in uniform. I noticed he had only two layers on. I had about four, plus a hat and scarf and gloves. I suggested we go somewhere warm for a coffee. Noah agreed. We walked across the grass and found a coster in the cluster of satellite shops around the supermarket. Noah seemed very shy and cautious, and young, and tall, and much much better looking than his photos online. But I didn't say that. The conversation didn't have a flirty edge to it, so there was caution on both sides. He ordered a green tea and I had a coffee. Why is it called an Americano? he asked, reasonably. I had no helpful reply. I also took a small granola bar to nibble. I'd had nothing to eat for two hours, and although I didn't want a mouthful of crumbs if it came to kissing, it didn't look as if that was on the cards. Nothing like that was going to develop. How could it? He's 21, he lives in barracks on a US Air Force base, we're in a cafe in Nowheresville, and I'm midway on a three-hour journey home. There will be no sexual activity here. I underestimated his resourcefulness. Young Americans, eh? We chatted in an awkward fashion at the plastic table, our dialogue was similarly practical and wipe-clean. I asked about his job. Noah wasn't a pilot, as I'd imagined, but an engineer. We were totally incompatible. 
alien creatures from another time zone, different planets, nothing about us overlapped, except our here and now experience. This tea, this coffee, this smile, and this shared nervous laughter. It was a crazy idea, hatched at 2am just a few hours earlier. Let's meet! Now we had. The longer we sat with our drinks, searching for topics to keep momentum in the faltering chat, the more ill-fitting this rendezvous felt. He seemed ready to end our incongruous encounter and return to his own known normality. You say in your profile that you're a qualified masseur. It felt like another polite inquiry about my education or what car I drive. Yes, I said, finishing my cool Americano and smiling across at my cool Americano. I enjoy doing it. It's a shame that can't happen here, now. And lo, the air changed. Well, my massage table is in London. Could it take place on a bed? He really was very handsome. No, not on a bed, because that's a soft surface, no resistance, at the wrong height, and with no proper access around the... What about on the floor? He was very handsome indeed. Well, yes, I suppose that might be... He mentioned a travel lodge nearby. Right, yes, okay, I stuttered. Um, yeah, you mean, uh, right. I wasn't sure what had just happened. I mean, I thought I knew, but it had been such a shift in focus. Why was I resisting this lead? If he'd stood up and whacked his dick out on the melamine surface, I'd probably have said, Not for me, thanks. I'm vegetarian. I mentioned that a proper treatment would need some kind of oil. Let's go to Sainsbury. We did. I found some baby oil. That would do. I bought mouthwash, too. What the hell? He was leading this dance now, and I was happy to follow. We walked to my car. I drove him to his and parked behind it. He took his phone out, and within two minutes he'd booked a room at the hotel. I asked him how much. Fifty-two pounds. I said I'd reimburse him half, but he waved my offer away. Still, without any touching or hint of sexual vibe in the air, he told me to follow him. He led us on a fast, haphazard and scary journey through the busy traffic to the Five Ways Roundabout, which we circled a couple of times. Criss-crossing lanes as he seemed to change his mind, I got in front of him by mistake and had to swerve in front of a giant truck to tuck into place again. Eventually he found the exit he wanted, and we were soon pulling up in the Travelodge car park. I followed him into the building where he checked us in. I felt embarrassed, delighted, confused and curious and not the slightest bit horny. We went to the room. It was on the ground floor, which always feels wrong. Just as there shouldn't be a row thirteen on a plane, there should only be rooms with beds upstairs. And this room had too many of them as well, a double and two singles. This wasn't a bloody orgy, for God's sake. Was it? We proceeded in an orderly fashion. Noah went for a pee. Then I did. And I used my mouthwash. I put a large towel on the floor in the narrow space between bed, desk and bed, chose some gentle music on my phone, and invited him to undress and lie down. Pants off? Pants off. I covered him with smaller towels and didn't sneak a peek. I knelt down, poured some oil on my hands, and began. His long, slim back had striations in the small of it. Growing pains? Gosh! Despite the difficulty of the working conditions, I gave him what was undoubtedly the best massage he'd ever had. 
He'd have better ones, but I felt the responsibility of giving him a decent experience. As the usual routine neared its conclusion, I wondered how happy an ending he wanted. It wasn't clear from his body's response, and there was no other verbal hint of which was the right way for this to go. I took the risk of touching his penis. And I use that word specifically, as any slang would be too sexy for what seemed purely anatomical. His pubic hair had never seen a trimmer, so his average member struggled to make an impact. There was something about those wild pubes that reminded me of... of another time, another occasion when an older man, more experienced, and a young man on his summer vacation from university. I was distracted by the half-thought and shook it from my head. I took a further risk and, in keeping with the appropriate language, performed brief fellatio on him. He rose to the occasion, but not in any passionate way. I looked up at him and he smiled. It was the most intimate moment we'd shared so far. Noah said, Janti, can we have a cuddle on the bed? We did. And it was lovely. Really, really sweet. We didn't kiss, but we chatted into each other's ears. His were very small and very cute. I paid him a lot of compliments and reassured him about life and being comfortable with his own choices. We were drowsy, and a bit cold. I pulled the sheets over us and we fell asleep. In a while he woke me, asking if we could shower together. Of course, why not? He was so tall next to me, and now he was so solicitous, soaping and rinsing me, making sure I got plenty of hot water. He loved standing under the jet and finally seemed to relax and breathe. After a long time in the shower, I made to leave. Already, he said. So I stayed with him for more pleasure. Nothing sexual, but simple enjoyment of being warm, wet and tender with each other. It was also in silence, adding to the unexpected mystical quality in the air. When we were lying in bed cuddling and speaking about whatever we were speaking about, I invited him to suck my cock. He declined, politely, as you'd expect a well-brought-up young Air Force man to do. I also said I'd like to get my face in his butt-crack. Butt seemed the right expression, not bottom or bum. One is raunchy, the other juvenile. And butt was American, too. I was also concerned he wouldn't know what rimming meant. But again he turned me down, saying he wasn't into any of that stuff. Well, neither was I at his age. Nor thirty-one, forty-one. Perhaps by the time I was fifty-one I was into that stuff. Rimming, not being rimmed. I'd always been too self-conscious of the physical and psychological damage I suffered at the age of twenty-one. Noah's age. Perhaps now would be a good time to explain. On my final summer holiday as a student, I'd gone to a house in Chiswick, West London, to have some erotic photographs taken, having answered an advert in Gay News, naked shots for a magazine in Germany. I needed the money to supplement my grant, and was rather drawn to the slight naughtiness of it. The man I met was German, in his thirties. He was large and pleasant, more practical than charming. He had heavy, fleshy features. There was a dog called Hardy, a spaniel, I think, that he shooed out of the room while we worked. Along one wall were large fitted wardrobes filled with clothes that others might find sexy. 
I dressed in some football kit, then some ripped shorts, and then it was time for the nude shots. I was fine with being naked, of course. I lay on the bed while he adjusted the lights. There were two, on tripods with silver umbrella reflectors. It seemed very professional to me. But he didn't like my untrimmed pubic hair and took me upstairs to a bathroom, where, still in a matter-of-fact way and not at all seductively, he took some nail scissors and made some changes, sitting on the edge of the bath so he could snip, snip away his head at my crotch. There, he said, after a few minutes, that will look bigger now. He was right. It did. I could trust this man. We took some shots of me trying to look sexy but not silly with some direction from him, and then he said, You can get hard now. Just like that? On demand? I said I wasn't sure if I could, and it would be easier if he was naked too. Yes, I said that. I did. I meant it. If he wanted me to become aroused for the photographs, seeing another naked man would help me. Was that wrong? Did I give him permission to... He undressed as if for a medical examination, folding his jeans and sweatshirt and placing them on a chair. He was huge, a big, tall, broad man, and he had an enormous penis, longer and thicker than any I'd seen before. It had real heft and weight. I was fascinated by it, and we fooled around for a while on the bed. And then he fucked me. It wasn't what I wanted. I told him it wasn't what I wanted. But he did it anyway. He fucked me. He fucked me as I lay face down on his bed. I told him not to. I told him I didn't want it. I tried to wriggle away. But he was big and strong. And he fucked me. I could hear Hardy barking in the kitchen. When I think of that day, that time, that man, I see it from an observer's point of view, not my own. I'm watching it from above, slightly to one side, coolly observing the younger man and the older man, the English man and the German man, the passive man and the active man, the controlled and the controlling, the victim and the... what? What was it? What happened? What term do I use? Non-consensual sex is the label that comes most bearably to mind. I can get to non-consensual anal sex, but the R word, I struggle to say it. It sounds too dramatic. And at the time, it felt banal, confusing more than shocking. Now that's changed. Those brief but endless minutes have dictated and defined how I've felt about my body for forty years. They've determined what I've done sexually and what I've never, almost never, allowed to be done to me since, not even hinted at. If anyone goes close, I clam up and recoil. Never again will I trust someone to hear me say no and respect my choice. It wasn't Chiswick. It was Turnham Green. I can see the building from the outside, the number 13 on the wall next to the door. His name was Jürgen, and he raped me. No, 
No, I wasn't into any of that stuff. I said, Good for you, standing your ground, being clear about a boundary. I respect that. And then I told him about the incident when I was exactly his age. I hadn't mentioned it to anyone since 1976, apart from Angelo, weeks earlier. And this was not a man I felt particularly close to. I guess it was just time. Noah listened without comment. No clichés or platitudes. I appreciated that. We dressed and left the hotel. It seemed odd to be checking out just a few hours after checking in, but I suspect that happens a lot with two US bases nearby. Again I offered to pay half, and again he declined. We hugged in the car park. I said that if he was in London we could meet up again. Neither of us took that as anything other than the requisite social niceties. I got into my car and drove back to London. This was a day of surprises, and there was one more to come. I was due to meet a man called Harry that evening. My Year of Bad Sex is written and read by me, Jonathan Izard. The music and studio production are by Andy Mills. My Year of Bad Sex is a Protocol production.